I'm excited this morning to begin a new sermon series. We're going to be spending the first few months of the year on this. Uh, We're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. And when I first began the journey of becoming a pastor, the district wanted us to all come and attend a special seminar where they flew in a ministry expert to help encourage the local pastors. So we all piled in the car at my old church and drove up to Milwaukee to one of the bigger churches there. And I remember one of the things he was lecturing on is he was telling us about different kinds of ministries and different kinds of ministry focuses. And one of the ministry focuses he had was pastors who really believe in teaching the Word of God. And he said, you know, who, who out there really believes most of their job is, is to teach the Word of God? And most of the people in my church raised up their hands because our pastor was a Bible guy, we were Bible people, and we really believed in, in the Word. And he said, if you had to choose three books of the Bible that you wanted to teach your people, what would they be? Well, I wrote in my notes, well, the, my two would be, my first two would be the Gospel of John and the book of Romans. Well, I've already taught through all those. So I look, I'm looking at my third one, and it is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, why Ephesians? Because the central premise of this book is describing who you are in Jesus Christ. From the basics of how you are saved, from how you are elected and called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to the positions you can currently enjoy in the heavenly kingdom, to the, even into the ministry you are called to as to the elect of God. And no other book in the Bible does this to the extent of the book of Ephesians. This is important because people live according to their vision of themselves. Let me say that again. You are going to live your life according to the vision that you have about yourself. For example, if you see yourself as a trustworthy person, a person who doesn't lie, a person who doesn't cheat, a person who doesn't um, go out of their way to rob people of, of different things, you're going to live your life that way. You're not going to do any of those things. However, if you see yourself as undeserving of love, undeserving of affection, or worthy of anything good, how are you going to live your life? Pretty much in a constant state of depression, never thinking that you are good enough. And that's why Paul wrote this book, to give us an idea of who we are in Jesus Christ so we will live up to the calling that he has called us to. In this case, we can live like we were the chosen of God. And that is what Paul is going to talk about this morning, starting in Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who are first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included with, in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And Father God, I ask, Lord, that as we begin our series on the book of Ephesians, that you would do exactly that, that you would help us to see who we are in Jesus Christ. And not only just see who we are, but live up to who we are in Jesus Christ, so that the world can see your Son, and the world can come into a saving relationship with him. Father God, let that be our purpose this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to focus on what it means to be the chosen of God. The Bible, through both the Old and the New Testament, is pretty clear that God chooses certain people for certain things, including even salvation. Now, I know when I say that, some might bristle a little bit because it sounds like I'm preaching Calvinism. For the record, the Assemblies of God is not a Calvinistic fellowship. We don't believe in, in the teachings of John Calvin and his, his method of, of how we are saved. We believe in the Arminian order of salvation. Now, most of you probably aren't theology nerds like me and know the difference. But if you're reading your Bible, you'll come across passages that seem to indicate that God has a naughty and nice list. That God has a specific group of people that he likes and a specific group of people that he doesn't like. And that somehow he's already determined who will go to heaven based on his sovereign choice if you read certain passages out of their context. So we're going to spend just a couple minutes this morning discussing this and talking about what predestination is. Because you can't deny, when you read the Bible, that it talks about people being predestined towards salvation. So just to review a couple of the scriptures this morning. In verse 4, it says that he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. Now, here's the, the main point. Through Jesus Christ. Very important right there. 
in accordance to his pleasure and will. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, if you had only these scriptures right here in the Bible, you would assume that God has, because of some reason or sovereign choice of his, decided who's going to be saved and who's going to not be saved. That's the basic of what... um, a Calvinist belief. And we say, what's a Calvinist? Well, Calvinism is Lutheran, Baptist, kind of, kind of those denominations. They believe something similar with a whole lot of different um, variations of that we won't get into this morning. But, so why don't we believe this? Why don't we just take that, you know, these scriptures and say, Well, okay, God predestined us. He's made a list, naughty and nice. Who's going to go to heaven? Who's not going to go to heaven? Why don't we believe that? Because there are other verses in the Bible that talk about something different. And in particular, the quotes from Jesus himself. Now, if anyone is going to understand the order of salvation or how people get saved, I think we can take Jesus' word for it. And as much as I honor and respect the Apostle Paul, Jesus being God has the final say. And if you look at Jesus' words in John chapter 3 that I pretty much filter all my theology through, in John 3.16, the famous verse in the Bible that says, For God so loved the world, he gave us his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. That means there has to be something that is done on our behalf in order to obtain eternal life. Now, if you look at verse 18 of the same John chapter 3, it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever, or excuse me, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he is not believing in the name of God's one and only Son. So people will look at that and say, well, it seems like the Bible has a contradiction in it. It seems like over here it says God has an audience nice list, and over here it's up to us and what we do with Jesus Christ. So is this a contradiction? Paul and Peter use the same language regarding salvation, that predestination is according to God's sovereign purpose and his choice. But Jesus, on the other hand, says whoever would believe, which is our choice, based on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So how do we reconcile these two points? Well, fortunately, we have a third book of the Bible, the book of Romans. And in Romans 8.28, it says that, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been, now listen, called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the likeness of his Son, so he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those who called, he also justified. Those who justified, he also glorified. Now, what does all that mean? We are predestined. We are called. God knows who's going to be saved. But it's predestined 
And God chooses and predestines us based on his foreknowledge of who will accept Jesus as Lord, God, Savior, and King. And that brings up another question. Does God know the future? Absolutely. Of course he does. Science has taught us over the last hundred years, particularly with Einstein, that time is a created thing. It's part of creation. It's a, it might, we don't know if it's, a, um, if it's just a consequence of creation, a consequence of, of God putting this into um, motion, or if he actually created this thing called time. And I'm not going to try to, to blow our minds this, this morning with astrophysics or anything, but we know that, God, that gravity, we know speed, we know velocities, all this can alter time. So if all of this is true, then time is a created thing. And if time is a created thing, God is a creator of time. If God is a creator of time, then he can do whatever he wants with it, Right? So he can exist outside of time. God, that's why when the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it's because he oversees time in all of its in in every in all parts of it. From the moment he said, Let there be light, to the revelation, the end of revelation, he is there in in the midst of it at all times. If you think about this, and it's not it's not a very good example, but it's the best I could come up with. You know how scientists will sometimes put little white mice in maze and see how fast they can get through it? That's kind of like us. God sees all parts of that maze at the same time as we run through our life trying to get to the end. We're looking for the cheese. And everybody who's from Wisconsin knows that cheese is heaven, right? So that's our goal. We're trying to get to the cheese. And we run through our life, and sometimes God sits there, and he might tap us in the right direction so we can get to that cheese someday. That's how God exists outside of time. He sees it for everything that it is, all at the same time. And I know that kind of just, it's really hard to, to comprehend. I don't pretend to have an awesome understanding of all of this, but... What I do understand just blows my mind how God can exist at all points at the same time inside this thing called time. But that's how God chooses us. He knew from eternity past who was going to accept Christ. He knew. He didn't, he didn't have to make a choice because he knew everyone that was going to be saved. Now, I... We could open up the the whole the um, open up for examples this morning from every one of us. But before I got saved, I could probably give you a dozen examples of how God saved me from my stupidity, even saving my life sometimes, or say or keeping me from going down a very very bad path. Even before I accepted Christ as Savior, He kept me somewhat safe, I don't want to say somewhat, he kept me safe in him. Even though I was rebelling, even though I was kicking against the goals, even though I was saying, I don't want anything to do with church, he still kept me safe during that time because he was able to see in July of 1993 that I would give my heart to him. That's just an awesome, incredible thought for me. But that is how God chooses us. He predestined us. So, now that we are chosen, now that we understand how we are chosen, what are the benefits of being chosen? 
Well, the first one we see in, in Ephesians is that we are holy and blameless, that we have redemption. Now, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says. When God sees you, he sees you holy and blameless. Now, most Christians don't believe that. Most Christians live under their calling for a couple of different reasons. The first one is that they believe the enemy's lies. Here are a couple of those lies. Number one, God can't save you. You're worthless. Why would God spend time with an amoeba like you? He could never love you. Look at all this stuff you've done in the past. You've broken every commandment he's ever given joyfully and then gone out and done it again. Why would he even have any time for you? You've messed up way too much. You've probably committed the unforgivable sin for all you know. And now you're doomed. And here's a lie I hear all the time. I hear this at work a lot. Oh, I know I'm going to hell. I'll have a party with all my friends. That hell isn't that, that bad. Well, if you're an introvert, you might be in heaven because you'll be alone and suffering all by yourself with no other interaction. That's strongly what the Bible seems to teach. But you trust me. You, it's not going to be a party with your friends. And finally, people feel that way because fear, doubt, and unbelief are constantly being fed to us through this world's media. We live underneath our calling because we're believing the enemy's lies. The second reason most Christians live under their calling is lasciviousness. Now, lasciviousness is defined as living for your own pleasures rather than for the glory of God. We've developed this phrase or this, this title called carnal Christianity. And really, it's a contradiction in terms. Carnal Christianity teaches live how you want because Jesus forgives you anyway. And this is probably within the church anyway, the most pernicious lie the enemy tells people today. Because if he can get people who claim to be Christians to live like hell, then he wins. Because they never shine the light of the gospel into the world. That's the whole reason you're here, is to shine the light of the gospel into the world he's called you to. The truth to both believing the enemy's lies and to lasciviousness is seeing what God's word says. Back to the Romans verse where it says, For, God, for those God, who God foreknew, he also predestined. Now watch what he says here. To be conformed into the likeness of his son. You were chosen and called for a purpose. And that purpose is to reflect the glory of God through showing the character of Jesus Christ being formed inside you and then showing it to the world. But if you believe the enemy's lies, if you believe you're worthless, if you believe you can live however you want because Jesus is going to forgive you, if you believe that you're not accountable before God, it's like you're a lighthouse with a light shining brightly with the, but with blinders over the top of the windows. You might have a light in here, but no one else gets to see it. And that's why so many people are shipwrecked today. Because the church is not shining the light of Jesus into their community in the individual believers that go to a church. The second benefit of being chosen is that you are adopted into his family. Now, I'm not a lawyer. 
But I did a brief internet search, and I've read that once you adopt a child, it is virtually impossible to reverse that adoption. It's almost impossible. When God adopts you as his child, i.e. when you become saved, God never files for an annulment. You can walk away from him, but he's never going to walk away from you. I don't want you to think about that for a moment. If we really believe that for God foreknew, he also predestined. If we really believe what God's word says. Close your eyes and think of the worst thing you've ever done in your life. Now think of the worst thing you've ever done since you became a Christian. Now open your eyes and look at me. God saved you anyway. Come on, if that doesn't raise a shout in you, I don't know what will. If you can shout at a Packers game and can't shout at the blood of Jesus Christ wiping away your sin and continuing to do so, come on. God still saved you. Even knowing tomorrow you may blow it big time, he still saved you. And this is the first service of the new year. I want you to enter into this new year with this clean slate and not believe the enemy's lies that you are unworthy of God's love. If you are here and you surrendered to Christ and been saved, you stand before God with with white robes washed cleaner than any bleach known to humanity. You need to enter this new year believing that and then living it. God's adopted you. And he's wrote that adoption in permanent ink called the blood of Jesus Christ. He will never leave you. And how do I know that? Because he gave us part of himself, the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1.13 it says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. You can be in the darkest depression. I get depressed sometimes. I know what it feels like. I can run into someone that seems to ask me the unanswerable question or challenge my faith in a way that I'm not prepared for. I can be in the darkest despair that I've ever felt. But in all of that, there's one thing I can cling to. And that God loves me. And his spirit inside me is always speaking, always bearing witness, always telling me how valuable I am to him and that I am his son. And he is calling me to come away from him, get away from all that stuff, and be refreshed through spending time with the Holy Spirit. You read the stories of the Bible, and sometimes you wonder how Paul and Silas could be beaten so badly that most of the skin was probably removed from their backs. They're then chained to a wall in a dirt dungeon with rats and bugs and filth crawling all over them, probably freezing half to death in horrific pain. And yet they praised God to the point that God himself joined in and took on the bass roll and the the whole jail shook apart. You say, how could they do that? The Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit living within them. I know I say this over and over again, but we need to hear it over and over again. We're living in a time where we just need to shut out the media. We need to shut off the TV. We need to shut off the internet sometimes, the phones, the radios, and just sit in silence and listen for God's voice. Sit in silence and pray. Let the Holy Spirit wash over you. Let Him give you perspective. Let Him refresh and heal you and reinvigorate you so you can face the day we're living in. And I know it's the hardest thing to do to actually sit in silence or even find time during your day to do it. But it's going to be the most important thing as we move forward in this time we're living in to do is to block out that time of our day to spend with Him. Listen, our basic training is almost over. Honestly, we're getting ready to go into war. And I want us to be able to survive and thrive in God's army when the persecution comes. And finally, the Holy Spirit will help you with the fourth benefit of being chosen, and that is to understand the times. While we have to be careful when it comes to watching the news and immediately trying to uh, attach a prophetic scripture to every news story, the Holy Spirit will remind you, as you do watch the news, as you do read the newspaper, that the Bible has foretold much of what you're seeing today. To me, it gives me a sense of peace. A lot of people say, oh, it's Revelation. Oh, that might be the Antichrist. Oh, that might be... Awesome. I say awesome. God's word is true. We're, we're heading to heaven. Sooner or later, we're heading to heaven. And that gives me a great sense of joy and happiness. You have to remember that in a billion years from now, you're still going to be alive. Do you think what's happening right now is going to matter in a billion years? Keep that eternal perspective. Trust me, it'll help. Especially when you're dealing with the people you don't want to deal with on this earth. And I want to close today with this thought. And that is, what are our, our responsibilities of being chosen? I've alluded to some of these throughout the message, but I want to frame it in this way. If you're in the military, if you do something dumb in uniform, they can bring you up on a, a charge of conduct unbecoming. Same thing if you wear a uniform um, to work and you do something dumb out in public, or if I wear my scrubs with, uh, with my name tag on and I do something that negatively reflects on the hospital I work for, they can discipline me and fire me for that. So we have to remember who we represent when we go out in the world. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Paul holds up to us the standard of Jesus Christ to live up to. And the way he does not isn't just a list of do or don'ts. It's helping us to see who we are in Jesus. Who we're called to, to, be, to be like in this world. And not just some nebulous standard of spirituality that, that changes from denomination or church to church. 
It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about the glory of God. Is God being glorified in our actions? Is God being glorified in our life? 1 Corinthians 6.20, reading from the Wymouth New Testament, says, You are not your own, for you have been redeemed at infinite cost. Therefore glorify God in your bodies. For the year 2022, it would be a good thing for us to remember that God bankrupted heaven to save us. In other words, he gave the most valuable thing in all of existence, his son, to save us through our sins. We are therefore supposed to have that in our front and center of our minds. And I think if we do that, if we focus on bringing glory to God in everything, everything else will fall into place. Amen? Let's all rise. Father God, it's my prayer for 2022 for us. For us to learn to glorify you in every way. For us to finally cast aside fear, doubt, unbelief, the, the sin that so easily entangles, all of that, let us cast that aside so that we can bring great glory to your Son, so that we can shine the light you have given us to others that desperately need it, Lord. Father God, I just bless your people now. I ask, Father, that you make them true ambassadors of Jesus Christ to this community to the world you have called them to. Let them live up to that calling. Let them fulfill that calling. Let them live that calling in 2022. So it brings great glory to you, their Father. Lord God, I thank you. I bless them now. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.